the temperature's falling, the nights are drawing in, it's official, even fake summer is over. It's time to get back to some serious news and politics for the autumn. Welcome to today's Start Your Week, setting up the stories that will dominate the next seven days. I'm Andrew Harrison, and here to guide me through the news labyrinth is legend of TV journalism, Gavin Esler. Good morning, Gavin. <laughs> Good morning, and a lovely morning it is too. It is. Let's see what we can do to ruin that. So um, the big story that's dominated the weekend is certain to spill over into the week. The accusations of a sexual assault and rape against the TV personality turned conspiracy YouTuber Russell Brand, which were aired on our Channel 4 Dispatches documentary on Saturday. This is on all the front pages today. More women are coming forward. Questions are being asked about Channel 4 and the BBC's safeguarding and governance policies. Gavin, I mean, did you see the documentary? We surprised at the the detail of what was what was revealed. I did see the documentary. I mean, I thought obviously I don't don't know have any personal knowledge of any of this, uh, but I did think it was an absolutely comprehensive case that was made. However, is it possible to be utterly shocked but not at all surprised at the same time? That was my kind of by the end of it. I thought I'd met Russell Brand twice in a TV studio. Twice I interviewed him and. I didn't. I, I, I find it difficult to to describe him in um, beyond saying that we didn't entirely hit it off. I thought he was a very odd uh, person indeed. And also, I have noticed that a clip from Bob, Bob Geldof about twenty years ago yeah. uh, defined him in a single word, which I won't say right now. But it did seem to me to be there was something about him that uh, didn't entirely inspire trust, uh, Mr. Brand. So it was utterly shocking. It seemed like a very solid piece of journalism to me because there was so much of it and so many details and so many absolutely awful, shocking stories. So we'll see what happens next. So it's hardly surprising, however, that he's used the Trump defense. You know, they're all against me. It's a conspiracy to bring me down. But I don't think that's going to work. The people who are supporting him do seem to be a who's who of the the hard right, the alt right, the far right, the extreme right. All the rights going. Andrew Tate, Elon Musk, Alison Pearson, Neil Oliver, Jordan Peterson. There's only a tiny sprinkling of the of the far left, like the XMP, Chris Williamson. What does this tell us? I mean, people were saying that you know one of the ways that you know people defend themselves is to move into the uh, the world of conspiracy so that they can claim everything's a conspiracy against them. Yes, well, I'm, I mean, the names you read out sound to me like the dinner party from hell, actually. And and what is surprising is that they reach into what is supposed to be the mainstream in the case of Alison Pearson in in the Telegraph. So we've got a bunch of people who believe that. Uh, let, let me take a step back. I've often thought that the thing about conspiracy theories is that they are actually quite optimistic because they believe that someone somewhere is in charge, and if you could mm. only find that person, then everything would be all right. And that's one of the reasons why they're nonsense. I mean, the the, the idea that there is a worldwide conspiracy against a kind of yesterday's comedian, Russell Brand, is just not true. What there is, is a degree of shock about the way in which some people in positions of power in different ways, in his case, cultural power and popularity, abuse not just their power, but abuse other people. And the fact that that group of people that you mentioned, that list of of people who uh, clearly think that uh, Russell Brand is being somehow uh, unfairly treated, I think that's to me, the shock. Why on earth would you come out 
in favour or in support of somebody against whom there is considerable evidence. Now, we'll see if, it, if any of this ends up in court. And that would be also very, very difficult for the women involved. Uh, uh, you know, we all know how difficult it is to pursue these things in court for obvious reasons. Uh, so it may not actually go anywhere. But I do think that those who are attaching themselves to the cause of Russell, Russell Brand are uh, outing themselves as rather problematic people. The general public want instant results and strong action to be taken immediately whenever something like this comes to light. But the BBC and Channel 4 can only offer inquiries, and inquiries take time. They and also Amnesty have all started investigations this week. As it drags on, what's this, what is it likely to do to the reputations of these, in, these uh, institutions? Well, I mean, they have to obviously look at how they have handled things in the past. I would say that, that some of these, um, it doesn't diminish them in any way, but some of these activities go back quite a long way. And it's a question of whether people were asleep at the wheel, didn't notice, didn't care or whatever. And of course, thankfully, our society has changed a lot. I mean, some of the things that we've heard about attached to Russell Brand would be in the memoirs of cer certain rock stars from the 1960s. And thankfully, we are, have finally begun to move on in making these things public and brave women coming forward and talking about it. And things have changed. But all the institutions involved will have to look back and try and figure out what went wrong and what they did wrong. But ultimately, if all these stories are true, are basically true, there is one person who is responsible for that. And that is somebody who is refusing now to take responsibility. We should be clear that these are allegations and Russell Brand has not been found uh, guilty of anything and must be considered innocent until uh, proven guilty in court. There is, however, a related story out this morning that the CBI is asking its members for a contribution of £3 million to prevent its collapse after allegations of sexual misconduct, including two rapes, were made inside the organisation uh, under a previous regime. Gavin, can institutions still kind of, you know, tough it out when these scandals arise, you know, announce an inquiry and then, you know, sort of pass it off into the long grass? It's very difficult, obviously. And the CBI, I mean, this is a voluntary organization in the sense that people join it and that it is supposed to be or has been for years the voice of British business or that's how it presented itself and British business uh, like other institutions including perhaps Channel 4, the BBC and others really have to look at the way in which they address these historical allegations and it's not surprising that people who are in business might look at the CBI and think, why would I want to contribute in any way, either financially or being part of an organization which is tarnished in that way or apparently tarnished? And again, these, as you rightly say, these are allegations against uh, Russell Brand. You and I weren't there. We don't know what happened. And it will be very difficult, it would seem to me to find out exactly what happened sometimes 20 years ago. But fortunately, some people who are brave enough to, to step up have, have given their account. And Russell Brand's account, that it's just simply a conspiracy against him, seems very odd. He needs to address the specific allegations, and he doesn't seem to so far have done that. And that would be, that would be at least a step forward to clearing up what did happen. Well, for more on this, listeners, please do check out today's edition of Paper Cuts, our newspaper review podcast with Miranda Sawyer. They'll be looking at the media coverage of this story and where that points. And the new edition is out mid-morning.
In politics news, the issue of illegal migration is certain to rumble on this week after Keir Starmer said that a Labour government would strike a deal with the EU to return some new arrivals to Europe and others will be allowed to stay in Britain, just like we used to be able to do before we took control with Brexit. The Conservatives tried to brand this as Labour will let in 100,000 migrants, which is pretty good because the Conservatives are letting in 600,000 migrants a year. Labour will not say how many more migrants it would accept Gavin, how do you see this one playing out this week? This is the the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, I think I think the phrase uh, this week, if I might say, is misplaced. This generation, or this century, or this mm. you know, this is going to be the story of our lives till we're till we're all dead. And I, you know, it is kind of obvious that the world is on the move, and it's on the move because of wars. It's on the move because of climate change. It's on the move because of man's inhumanity to man. And Europe is a place to come to. Because, first of all, it's relatively close to North Africa. And secondly, because it's relatively rich and offers the prospect of a better life. I'm telling everybody what they already know, but this is not going to stop. And it's not going to stop because, you know, some prime minister here today, gone tomorrow, stands in front of a podium that says stop the boats. It will only be ameliorated if, and I'm afraid Giorgia Maloney in Italy is right about this, if the European Union in particular and European countries outside the European Union, including Britain, try to get together to figure out a rational way of, of stopping this. You can't deport everybody to Rwanda. And in fact, we can't seem to, in the, in the United Kingdom, deport anybody. And the idea that this particular government's got a clue when their great idea involved sticking people on a barge which was contaminated with Legionella, I mean, they are so intellectually bankrupt about this issue that I think we can ignore them for a bit. At least Starmer is saying privately, I suspect, this is going to be a problem for Labour when the Labour's in, Labour's in power. We have got to be seen to be doing something and perhaps we should think about how to do something constructive that works, that isn't simply a slogan. And, you know, the figures of 100,000, 200,000, politicians love making up figures in order to sound as if they're doing something. It has to be a number that sounds high enough to be impressive and low enough to be credible. The trouble is none of this is particularly credible because we have not grappled with this problem internationally. And, you know, we can't stop the wars. It seems that it's going to be very difficult to stop some of the changes to our climate and some of these catastrophes, as we've seen in Libya in, in recent days. So what would be actually rather extraordinary would be for the the government and the opposition to get together to try to think of a rational way forward. I know that's completely pie in the sky because the government in particular simply wants to govern by slogans rather than policies. But this is both a law and order issue and it's also a humanitarian catastrophe. These people are not on the move. I mean, I live in Kent. I, (laughs) I talk to people in border force. The people coming across uh, the water are not doing it for a laugh. They're not bringing their children because they think it's uh, they're going to go on the dole. They are really, really desperate. Now, the question is whether we have enough compassion as well as enough intellectual capacity to try to work with others to sort it out. There is no evidence so far that we are capable of doing this, but at least Starmer seems to be saying this is a problem that we're going to inherit and we're going to treat it differently. Starmer's been being very aggressive on this with his promise to smash migrant gangs. The Labour left have been attacking this as if it's a right-wing anti-migrant line. But gangs are not migrants, are they? Has he found a kind of a a sweet spot here where, you know, you can maintain a strong line on immigration, but actually not victimise the migrants themselves? 
Yes, I think that's absolutely right. You know, the, the Starmer can present himself as Mr. Law and Order because of his history. And the gangs are despicable. But the gangs are, it's supply and demand, isn't it? They, there is a demand for their services, uh, appalling though they are. And cracking down the gangs is going to be popular with everybody, including those who want to treat refugees with a degree of, of respect. And the other thing is, you know, I know this is an old, old argument, but what are the safe routes to come to this country? What are they? And they, they don't really, in effect, they don't really exist. So we cannot simply turn our back and say it's not our problem because it literally washes up on our shores. It's a law and order problem and it's a humanitarian problem. And the two are slightly different. And penalising the gangs and doing as much as you can Europe-wide to crack down on them solves may solve part of it. But it is ultimately a demand problem. And the demand is there. And how you stop that demand, how you can't, we can't bring peace to Eritrea. Uh, we can't stop repression in Syria, but we have to got to try to do some of those things. And it's a multifaceted problem, which simplistic answers are never, ever going to be answers at all. Back home, there are exciting developments in the Conservative Party cinematic universe. Blink and you missed her former Prime Minister Liz Truss will today attempt to reframe her exciting premiership with a speech attacking the London dinner party circuit. She's making it at the Institute for Government. She's going to double down on cutting corporation tax, ending the windfall tax on oil and gas companies, raising the retirement age and delaying the, the ban on petrol cars. Gavin, do you think she'll get many buyers for the return of Trussonomics should be listened to the lettuce. <laughs> well, you know, as you were reading that, I'm thinking, who cares? I mean, <laughs> do people actually pay money to go and listen to this person? This is, this is, I mean, she is boring, very tedious. She's emblematic of some of the things wrong about our politics. One of the things wrong about our politics, it seems to me, is we've had 57 prime ministers in British history. 30 of them come from one university, Oxford. She's one of them, and she's useless. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. If people want to pay money to listen to her, well, that's entirely up to them. But I cannot think beyond sort of the amusement that we have that she, she she's now publishing some kind of memoir or the map ahead or how how it would have been. Can you think of anything, anything that she has achieved for the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland in any of her ministerial positions that you really admire? The Australian trade deal, which even even George Eustace, who was environment secretary at the time, has now repudiated completely and says rubbish. I cannot think of anything that I admire that she has done in public life except somehow pretend to be Mrs. Thatcher, uh, fly around in a tank, dress up in all kinds of strange clothes and end up as prime minister. What a disaster. Well, yeah, I mean, we say that and that's all true. But I mean, we're not the Conservative Party. And I'm just astonished that, you know, when Trussism collapsed, you know, we all said, well, that's it. That's it for full on free market economics. That's it for cosplay Thatcherism. That's it for the IEA. That's it for Tufton Street. All done and dusted. It's finally hit the wall and we'll never see it again. And like less than a year later, apparently we're supposed to be listening to this again. Apparently uh, some valuable points were made. Apparently, you know, the boldness that is required is going to be resurrected. I'm just astonished that, you know, the kind of the decision to have a short memory about this 
is 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 going to be a, is going to play a role in the future of the Conservative Party. I thought you made a very good case there, if I may say, Andrew. <laughs> I just think that they need a long time in opposition to listen to each other, talking to each other about stuff that could have done if I if I don't if they'd only let me I mean all I was was prime minister and <laughs> they didn't let me those well-known lefty pinkos in the bond markets they did they destroyed my premiership sorry sorry this is I I, I just think she's a stand-up comedy act without the jokes well speaking of long periods in opposition the security minister Tom Tugendhat says that the conservatives will need to rebrand as the party of the young if it's going to survive he says the party needs to prioritise green policies and housing, both of which are extremely po- uh, popular with young voters. Now, you know, the notion of the Conservative Party as the party of the young might seem fanciful. What do you think, Gavin? I think I actually rather admire Tom Tugendhat. I think he is on to something here. But to turn it round the other way, uh, the Conservative Party has been a party which has been really horrible to young people over 13 years. I can give you a long list of, of, of things, but it's everything from, you know, Johnny Mercer saying when a 25-year-old was elected as a Labour MP that he was one of the in-betweeners. Instead of saying, this is really great that younger people are becoming coming into Parliament rather than a bunch of people who are rather stuck in the stale, the stale past. And Tugendhat is right. But there's things like, can you go to university without being saddled uh, with a vast amount of debt? No, it's a real problem. Can you afford to get a mortgage and get a house as a young person in Britain and by young person? Well, we're now that's now an elastic definition. You can't. Young people in this country are tend to be disregarded in favour of the older generation, of which I am one. And I think that is a great shame and it's a great mistake. And also, I think I'm one of these... I was at Gloucester History Festival over the last weekend, and one of the questions I was asked was, what did I think of the Scottish system whereby 16-year-olds managed to get the vote in the Scottish independence referendum? And I said, quite honestly, I was there in 2014. I thought that was a ludicrous idea. And then I met a whole lot of 16 to 18-year-olds in Scotland in public meetings and elsewhere and in groups, and they were better informed than I was, better informed than some of the grown-ups, so-called grown-ups. And I uh, actually thought that they added to the political debate. So I'm not suggesting that that, that's going to happen across the United Kingdom. But I am suggesting that uh, younger people have been seriously discriminated against by a Conservative government, which is completely out of touch with what actually drives them and some of their talents and Tugendhat I hope, will be part of a conversation within the Conservative Party to try to modernise it while it's in opposition, whereas Liz Truss and some of the others are stuck in the past. A few things to look out for uh, just to round up. It's the final few days of Parliament before it rises for the party conference season. A few things to, to keep an eye out for. We're going to see the debut of the new Energy and Net Zero Minister, Claire Coutinho, at Energy Questions on Monday, which should give some insight into her positions on ULEs, general green stuff. Gavin, she's supposed to be a bit of a rising star. Nobody had heard of her three weeks ago. What are you uh, expecting? <laughs> well, I know, I, I think everybody you've not heard of in the Conservative Party is a rising star because they're not tarnished with the mess that we're in now. I, I would say on this, look, does the government not realise that car drivers have lungs too? 
that those of us who drive cars uh, do understand that actually some of the stuff that we do may be polluting. I would like to have an electric car, but I haven't seen one that I think is reliable enough or would suit my needs uh, or, or I could afford right now. So maybe a bit of reality here, instead of just going ULES extension, bad, uh, you know, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, bad, she may be a another fresh face and may again be part of that discussion within the Conservative Party over the next few years about what they really stand for. And I think standing for clean air is not a bad idea, to be honest. Well, she's a Sunak loyalist, so we'll, we'll find out how much uh, she does stand for that. A couple of more things to look out for, for in the, the dying days of the next few days of Parliament. The Education Committee will be questioning Minister Baroness Barron and the Permanent Secretary, Susan Ackland-Hood, about the collapsing concrete issue, so there should be some fireworks there. And the Online Safety Bill and the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bills are likely to get rubber-stamped in the Lords, although there's not going to be much debate until the return of Parliament after the party conferences. Finally, Gavin, in the United States, the Republicans have decided to try and impeach Joe Biden over connections to his son Hunter's business dealings. The evidence seems to be pretty paper thin. How are you expecting this one to develop? Well, I think this is a classic politics of distraction stunt uh, by the Republicans. You know, we have it here all the time. It's uh, it's not me, it's that other person. Look over there, it's much worse over there and so on. I don't expect it will go anywhere, but it will, as they say in America, energize the base and will get the, the, the frothing uh, people who watch Fox News uh, quite exercised. This has been going on for ages. But I mean, look, I spent the 1990s on Whitewater, which nobody remembers now, but it was years of Republican investigations into the Whitewater affair, which was Bill Clinton's dodgy property dealings. One of the things I knew about Bill Clinton was he's not interested in money. He liked he liked women, that's true. But Whitewater was investigated and investigated and investigated. I can't remember any of it. It was just nonsense. So this is just just more more nonsense. It's uh, but it will help the Republicans with people who already like the Republicans. And of course, this is going to be a very, very difficult year for for Biden and the Democrats anyway, partly because uh, his age will be an issue in this election. Yeah, and also there's the issue of the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, having to keep his own nutter wing happy, which obviously everybody in this country would be very familiar with that phenomenon over the past uh, five <laughs> to ten years. Yes, I mean, <laughs> how unusual is that for a uh, political leader uh, trying to keep his own or her own party in order? Well, 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 isn't democracy wonderful? I'm old enough to remember the 1990s when it was the triumph of Western democracy, a unipolar world. We were all Democrats now. And now look at us. I remember that. I remember Whitewater. God, we're both <laughs> ancients, aren't we? And that's Start Your Week for the week of 18th of September. Thank you, Gavin, for getting up early and uh, staring into the abyss with me. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thank you. Listeners, we can't promise we've covered everything, but we think we've got most of it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please do consider supporting The Bunker on Patreon to help us keep making shows seven days a week. The link is in the show notes. And don't forget Paper Cuts out mid-morning with full analysis of the Russell Brand story with Miranda Sawyer and her guests. That's Start Your Week. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Harrison. We'll see you next time. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. 
week. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Andrew Harrison with Gavin Esler. The producer was Kasia Tomashevich and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The group editor is Andrew Harrison and the managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, Start Your Week from the Bunker is a Podmasters production. 